Christ's name, amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm chapter 103. And while I only intend to preach on the first five verses, I don't know where to stop reading because it is too glorious of a text. And so I'm just going to read the entire chapter. It's where are we going to stop in this chapter that we would not want to continue on? And so just turn with me, please, and we will read the entire chapter of Psalm chapter 103. David says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He makes known his ways to Moses. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Well, brethren, it might surprise you a bit to hear me say this, but I I want you to feel or experience this text this morning. I I want us to recognize that this is not just a a nice section of Scripture. This is not just a a Sunday morning pick-me-up after a long week of work. I want us to see and to recognize that this is an expression of worship and gratitude to God from a soul that is satisfied in Him a soul that is satisfied in him. And so we're going to consider what these first five verses have to say, but the overarching goal is you would leave here experiencing something in what the psalmist is expressing here in this text, namely the exaltation of God. And I pray that our souls would be lifted up in praise, our hearts would be refreshed, and our our worship would be authentic because we recognize that this is an expression of, of joyful gratitude Because we see what God has done for us in Christ. One man said of this text, he said, There are no clouds on the horizon, nor notes of sadness in the music of this psalm. No purer outburst of thankfulness enriches the church. 
It is well that amid the many psalms which give voice to to the mingled pain and trust, there should be one psalm of unalloyed gladness, as untouched by sorrow, as if sung by spirits in heaven. And you can see that in this this chapter. It is a glorious chapter of, of praising and blessing the Lord. And brethren, we want our lives to be a reflection of this psalm as well. We long for our our are the times of of overwhelming gratitude and thankfulness that rise up in expressions of worship flowing from our hearts through our lips and into the heart of our Heavenly Father. Now, undoubtedly, Christians in this life have many difficulties. We struggle and we groan. We agonize over our own sin and the sin that we see around us. And and there are difficulties. But I hope that that is not all you know of Christianity. And I hope that is not the defining characteristic of your Christian walk, to be discouraged and downcast. We are people who walk with the King of glory. We are are people who are indwelt by the very Spirit of the living God. And we are people who who are eternally secure in Christ, knowing that our destiny is secure in Him. And so these things, knowledge of these things, cause our hearts to swell up into worship and adoration of God as, as we meditate for all, on all that he has done for us in Christ. And this is what uh, leads us to experience what is described in this text. And I pray that that would happen this morning. And so I want to look at this text under three simple headings. First, the exhortation to our souls, the exaltation of the Lord, and then we want to examine the benefits that he speaks of. So first of all, notice he speaks of an exhortation to his soul. And you can see how David is speaking to himself here in this opening verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He's speaking to himself. And friends, the reason that we need to follow this example is we have to recognize that we are weak in and of ourselves. We are weak. We are burdened with sorrows. We have suffering in this world and there are things that weigh us down and they pull our eyes off the attention of the blessings that the Lord has poured upon us. And so the struggle continues and we must be those who are speaking to ourselves and saying, bless the Lord. Don't forget his benefits. It is precisely because of the many hardships in life that we have to be exhorted to fix our attention upon God and to be still and know that He is God, to know that that amidst all the distractions of this life and all the difficulties, yet even with that, He has shown us great kindness to give us the many blessings He has. I don't need to remind you of all the responsibilities that weigh upon you, all the things which call for your attention, and in our world especially. I mean, mean, we we don't recognize how unique our country is until we go other places. But we have things everywhere. In your pocket, you have more distractions than most people in the world have access to. Things call for your attention, and, and, and this world seeks to distract you from pouring out your heart to God. And Christian, it is because we are pulled in all of these directions that we have to go back and recognize the exhortation that Moses gave to the Israelites applies to us. He says, take care. Take care that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of slavery. And that's what I would say to us this morning. Take care that we do not forget what God has done. And you recognize here that David is not exhorting his mouth to move. 
He's not saying, hey, go about doing all kinds of busy things. Keep busy. Act like you're doing something for God. He's exhorting his soul. He's preaching to his inner man. And we want to recognize that we have to take heed to to what the word says in Proverbs 4, right? Guard your heart with all diligence. We have to know that that our our worship is not just a matter of, of moving our lips and saying the right things. It's having our hearts in tune with God and knowing him and loving him and expressing this worship to him. And we also see the repetition here in these verses, and it's simply just an emphasis of this intense desire of the writer to worship God. Now, I don't, rec- I don't know for sure, but perhaps he's caught up in the joy uh, of, of how glorious God is. And he just puts emphasis on this. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. All that is within me, bless the Lord. Or perhaps he is wrestling with his own soul, trying to get him, himself into a place of remembering God's grace, of reminding himself of what God has done and God's worth and God's beauty and saying, worship him. Glorify him. You ever read texts like this and think, I need that. I want that. I want to bless the Lord. I want to worship the Lord wholeheartedly. Not half-heartedly, not passively, but wholeheartedly and holistically and unreservedly. I want my entire being to be that. But it's not. And some of us, need to work harder than others at at getting the focus off of ourselves and on to God and recognizing that in the meditation of God's glory and seeing what he has done for us, we get very lost in his glory and forgetful of ourselves and we just worship. Brethren, we need to be people who look away from ourselves. We tend to look inward. We see all the sin and failures and shortcomings and discouragement is not far down the path. And we're unable to come and to worship God as we should because it's not that we don't think he's worthy. It's just that we, we, we fail to, to prepare our souls. We fail to, to pour ourselves full of God's blessing and recognizing what he has done, what he has done for us. I mean, brethren... Your memory is a precious gift. I mean, just think about how pitiful we were, all of us, apart from the grace of God. And I think that's part of why David just erupts into this glorious expression. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Because you see, brethren, if we're going to awaken our worship, if we want to worship God, then we must first have our souls awakened. But if we want to have our souls refreshed and filled. If we're going to awaken our souls, we must first awaken our minds. We must remember things. If we're going to awaken our minds, we have to awaken our memory because we read, don't forget all his benefits. You know what? Memory is such a precious gift, but I think it comes up so short so often when it comes to remembering and recalling the mercies of God. We remember all the hard things very well. And sometimes we overlook the mercies of God. But sometimes we have to think, and we don't have to think that far back. We think of the depraved state that we were in, the sinful wretches that we were not all that long ago. And now look at you. Look, I mean, we've gathered together. Why have you come? You've come to worship him. Your heart has changed. You long to please him. You long to glorify him. There's no more bondage of sin. We we are free from that. And we don't want to forget what has taken place. Isn't it true? Perhaps I should say in my own life, probably, but probably for many of us. That when grumbling and complacency and our coldness and our difference 
indifference comes in, it's because we're forgetting God's goodness. When we're cold and indifferent, we usually find that we are bemoaning all the things that God hasn't done instead of recalling all the things that God has done for us and recounting his faithfulness. And so I just encourage you, don't forget the goodness of God. Don't overlook what God has done for you. Look at what he has done. And so friends, you must begin by speaking to yourself and reminding yourself of truth. Remind yourself that God's grace has been poured out in abundant measure on you. On you. And then secondly, I want us to see that this is an exaltation of the Lord. Perhaps you would ask, like, what is David really getting at here? What is his expectation here? What does he mean by bless the Lord? Someone said, something I read, I don't know where. Someone said this is the most frequently used word, blessed, in, in the Old Testament. And when speaking of God, it has a sense of praise. And so this is the idea. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Worship him. Express your love for him. Ascribe praise to him. Magnify his worth and beauty. To bring out your affections. And, and even, brethren, employ all your vocabulary to, to express what he is so that your heart would be lifted up and glorifying him and praising him. And we need to think of the privilege that we have because if it is true that God is so separate from us, he is so holy, he is so perfect and righteous altogether, that he dwells in unapproachable light, so holy is this God that angels hide their eyes from him, then it is a gift beyond comprehension that any of us would be able to gather together in, in fellowship with him that we would be able to worship him, that we would be able to call him our father, that we would have to, that we'd be able to know him and walk with him. And yet we do. And so all of these things are true. Then, then how can it not, how can we not rise up in worship when we recognize the depths of our depravity and the heights of what salvation has given to us? Mary knows something of this. When she was told that she was going to have the Son of God, that the Son of God was going to be in her womb and she would bring Him forth into this world, she exalted the Lord by saying, My soul magnifies the Lord. That's what we're after. To worship Him. It's an expression of love because when you love the Lord, you praise Him. When you love the Lord, there's going to be declarations of praise that well up within you and come out in words and actions of adoration. It's just a natural expression for those who have been redeemed. I don't know about you, but some, perhaps some of you have, have come across people who would say something like this. That religious stuff, all, all that religious language, all the things that you do on Sunday, it's just a bunch of, of religious jargon. All of that stuff is just you needing to feel comfortable with something and make yourself feel better, or somehow find comfort in that. It's all nothing. What do, what do you say to that? You ever run across people who, who think that this is just an empty exercise and we're trying to make ourselves comfortable by having this religious experience? They know nothing of God. They, they don't know Him. They don't know that we love Him, that we joyfully serve Him, that we give Him our praise, that we give Him our adoration, that our souls actually do magnify Him. This is not an outward expression of some kind of servitude. This is joyful willingness of giving Him our lives. Sunday mornings especially are times of gratitude and joy to come together and express 
worship to God. This is nothing like a religious activity. It is everything to do because we have a relationship with God and we serve Him and worship Him in joy. Now, I want to call your attention to one little word. It's the word all. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I think I have to rebuke my soul so many times for being half-hearted. Why is it that, that on the Lord's Day especially, if you have a family, you are wrestling with everybody to get to church? And, and, and there's all kinds of distraction. And, we, and sometimes you get here and we're just fumbling through the service and maybe we're just going through the motions and we're yawning through the sermon and we're looking around. Through the, our, our, our hearts sometimes are so wayward and we need to come to a place where David is pleading that he would bless the Lord with all that is within him. And brethren, I would ask you, have you pointed yourself in the right direction, even this morning, by calling your mind to focus upon him, by filling your soul with what he has done? Because, I mean, what really draws out praise from you? What really brings you to a place where praise is flowing out of your life? Is it not when we know what God has done for us, when we are filled with the knowledge of God, we meditate upon his mercies for us? This isn't just words on a page. This is a reality that we're living. And then joy and worship just well up within us. And we praise him. All that is within me. That's the prayer. That's what we plead for. And this is the call that, I, that, that we want as Christians to answer, that along with David, we would bless the Lord with all of our being, with all of our emotions, to, con- to corral them to a point of towards His worthiness, that we are focused upon Him, with all of our desires, that they would be so conformed, so closely aligned with Him, that they would be such pure desires and pleasing to Him, with all of our meditations, so that if you could interrupt your thoughts. If someone would come along and interrupt your thoughts, they would see that you were thinking and meditating upon God or at least some measure of glorifying Him through the things that you were doing. Brethren, with all of our goals and all of our ambitions, we all have ambitions, we all have goals, we have things that we're praying for and striving for and seeking to do with all of these things. That, that, that In the core of what they are, it would be aiming to please the Lord. With all of our words, brethren, Every word that we speak, that they would be as a proverb, gracious words like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. May our words glorify him. And brethren, hear me. We should worship him with all of our expressions. To express our love for God in, in, in all that he has given us. Brethren, when you, when you see someone that you know and love, you greet them with a smile, a hug. You're glad to see them. We think about all that God has done for us. And we medita- meditate upon all that he is. We should be like the psalmist in Psalm 71. He said, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you. We should worship him with all that we are. Friends, is this not your, des- your desire to have your soul so full of Christ that praise is your natural reaction? Or does it seem implausible, far out, a bit unattainable? I mean, I mean you can see how this would be the right 
thing, the desirable thing. If you live in a world that's free from sin and free from distraction and free from suffering and free from all the duties that you're called to each day. But I'm asking, in the midst of all of this, of all the distractions and busyness, aren't we still called to worship God, to love Him with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our soul, all of our strength, everything? You'll notice also in this text that there are no qualifications for this. As if when everything's going right, and it's been a good week and a good day, and you come together, praise the Lord. It's more applicable even when things are very difficult for us. That we need this exhortation. So let me just ask you. Friends, is this the disposition of your heart to worship God? Is your worship, or is worship your response to even the hardest situations as it was for Job? When he heard all of these things, we read, he fell on his face and worshipped. Now, I'm not saying this is an easy path. But I'm asking if your heart's disposition is so set upon God. I mean, brother, just think. Has he called you to a hard task? Bless the Lord. He has a purpose in it, even if you don't see it. Has he given you a season of loneliness? Bless the Lord. You can draw near to him in ways that you could not or you would have neglected if you were not in this position. Has he called you to a season of sorrow? Brethren, remember, he he has promised to be near to the brokenhearted and to save the crushed in spirit. Has he allowed you to be broken? You think of Job. Broken beyond imagination. And yet, he said, I have heard of you at the end of all this. He said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. And he blessed the Lord. Has God made you aware of sin and allowed you to be exposed of your selfishness and pride? Or any other sin? I mean, is is he at work in you? You see, this is an exhortation that isn't just for the good times. This is for recognizing what God has done because he has a purpose. And those, those sins that were exposed, you could not have been brought into a place of walking closer with God had he not done that. And so behind all of this, brethren, you see in, in all these ways and many more, we want to look to the Father who, who knows us and is an, indeed working all things for good. I mean, can you and I say this morning, Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me. God had a very different plan for me than I thought, than I wanted. And yet, I trust Him. I trust His character while I await His plan to unfold. You see, I'm I'm just seeking to remind us that all of life, each, each of our days, God's praise should be upon our lips. We see in Psalm 113, He says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. 
This is the joyful occupation of the believer. And friends, that should be our prayer, that we would worship him as we should, that we would call forth every faculty of ours to enlist it in blessing the Lord, in thinking about him, because we we cannot exhaust his worthiness. We cannot know the fullness of his beauty. And so we rightly sing, tune my heart to sing your praise, because that's what I want. That's what I long for, to, to praise him, to bless him, to honor him, because Christ has died to bring me to him. And we live in that fellowship. Brother, many of you have probably, maybe even this summer, you go to a place and you see a, a, this, this lookout, this scenic place where you maybe have to walk up a mountain and, and you're going through these places and all of a sudden you come to the top and bang, there it is, this beautiful overlook where you can see all of creation is just gorgeous. And I think sometimes that's how we see these texts in Scripture. We, we're, we're seeking to, to, to find God, to comprehend all that He has done for us in Christ. And suddenly we see it. It's there in full color. He's forgiven us. He's redeemed us. He's given us everlasting love. He's satisfied us. Our souls just exult in worship. And do you ever, do you ever read Scripture? You go through Scripture and, and you read it and you, you've been so full of love and you want to express your joy to God, but, but your words just are fumbling. You have no no understanding of what to say and just communication fails you because you recognize that his beauty and his worth is beyond you and yet your heart is full and we bless bless the Lord again I remind you no matter where you are in life no matter what God is doing when you can look upon him and see his worthiness and his glory for the believer it brings out a heart of joyful praise, even in the midst of sorrow. So we can say, no matter where we are, we echo the words of David, bless the Lord, all that is within me. I really don't want to spend the rest of our time just looking at these benefits, because as David is is worshiping the Lord, he turns his attention toward recalling the good gifts that he's received from the hand of God. He, he, he realizes he has received so much good from God and he wants to remember so that his soul is lifted even higher in praise as he recalls how God has dealt with him. Now, one of the aims of this psalm, I think, is to fill our hearts so full of the realization of what God has done for us that we would never take for granted, never forget all the benefits that we have received from him. I think this is so helpful because as human beings, we have a multitude of needs. And yet what we find is that in a, even in a cursory reading of this text, that God meets every one of our greatest needs. Every one of them. I mean, we, we think we have a lot of needs, right? We're, we're a needy people. We can make a long list. But what can be greater than what we find here in this text? To be forgiven of our sins, to have the crown of love upon us, to, to know that we are satisfied, to know that our lives have been redeemed from the pit. So friends, as we're walking the narrow path that God has called us to, and we begin to get gloomy, and joy is not so much our experience anymore. And complacency has overtaken zeal. And some of these things begin to happen. And our, our joy wanes and our worship is suppressed, to say the least. We have to rem- remember that there is a well-worn path of the believers. And it is the path of remembrance and contemplation upon God. There is a way to gladden your soul. There is a path that brings you back into the light where you can find that path by asking, what has God done for me? What does it mean that I am his? What does it mean that he has forgiven me, that my sins are gone? What does it mean that he has been so kind to me? So let's think about these things. 
The first thing he mentions is that our sins are forgiven, our iniquities. He forgives all your iniquity. And brethren, this should make us stop and think. God forgives all our iniquity. And as noted by someone who read this text, it does not say that he forgives most of your sins or or it would be a small consolation to us. We have no capacity to take care of any of our sins. We don't read that the small sins are no big deal to God, but the big ones are. We don't read any of that. We find no exception, no caveat here where God's forgiveness does not reach all our iniquities, friends. And this is something that is so freeing, so gloriously liberating to our souls to recognize this. Just think, Christian, just think. All of the wickedness, all of the wickedness that you produced in your days before Christ, all of the terrible things that we did in the face of God, things which he hates, things which kindle his wrath, but then you were saved and he brought you into his family and yet, even though you were saved, you still continue to sin. And unless there is some divine measure of grace given to you tomorrow, you will continue to sin. And yet, as children of God, as children of God, we turn back to find our Savior, still stretching out His arms of love to us and beckoning us to come back because He has forgiven us. He's taken our sins. So we don't despair because of our sins, but we rejoice in so much as we know that our sins have been removed from us. And so because of our love for God, it doesn't give our hearts any kind of freedom to sin. It gives us joy to know that we will find forgiveness. I mean, doesn't John write there in 1 John chapter 2? I'm writing this so that you don't sin. I mean, that's that's why he's writing. But then he says, if you do sin, we have an advocate. Now just consider in this short statement what we can think for what we can comprehend about the power of the cross. We've been hearing sermons on the, on the cross of Christ. I mean, how can this be that our sins are forgiven, that God has wiped away our innumerable sins, and it is by the power of the cross where Christ laid down his life, or he said in John 10, I'm laying down my life. No one takes it from me. I lay it down. I'm giving my life for the sheep. And he took it back up again, and he is raised at the Father's right hand as confirmation that our sins are really gone. And so we can sing, we can worship, we can express our gratitude for him because we know that his, the cross of Christ was an effectual work. He really did take away our sins. We really are forgiven. Think all unbelief, all hardness of heart, all self-centeredness, all self-righteousness, all blindness towards God's kindness, all ungodly thoughts, all impure motives, all disobedience, all the dull affections that we have for him, everything has been taken away and Christ has cleansed us from all sin. Look at the Savior that we have. I mean, doesn't that not bring something into your heart where you can express worship to Him? I mean, don't you know the weight of sin? Don't you remember what that is like? The guilt and the, the sorrow and you, the, the, the conviction of sin. And yet you come to Christ and you recognize it's gone. He really has forgiven us. He really has forgiven us. And sometimes as, as married couples, we think, you know, we're amazed when, when our, our spouse forgives us so constantly of the same sins. You know, I I overlooked your needs again. I'm sorry. And forgiveness is given and given and given. And we're so thankful. 
But God in Christ forgives and forgives and forgives and forgives. It is as though there is some kind of infinite fountain of blood that washes away all of our sins because there is. It's because of Christ. Now, quickly, just one more aspect of forgiveness that I think is sometimes overlooked. There are, there are, there are many people who, because of certain views of, of God or, or, or views that they possess, their imbalanced views of God and sin and suffering, they... Some people never live in the freedom of forgiveness. They never allow themselves the delight of a conscience that is set free in Christ because they feel the need to carry the, the guilt themselves and to punish themselves for every sin, even though we read that our iniquities are forgiven. Brethren, the reason that so many of us don't exalt in God as we should, as David is describing, is because we don't comprehend the fullness of forgiveness. You can't carry the guilt. It doesn't do any good. There's freedom. We, we, we think sometimes that God's forgiveness is that he takes away the punishment of sin, but surely he's still displeased with us. Or that God has somehow begrudgingly forgave us, but he holds it over us as some kind of threat in case we don't do good enough. Brother, listen to Micah 7. He says, Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger. I mean, this is the people of God. He does not retain his anger to them because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And friends, I would say to you, if you are in Christ, your sins are really gone. Of course we are sinners who have fallen short of God's glory. But my encouragement is that we cannot stop there. We must continue reading the Bible. And after we read there in Ephesians 2 that we're dead in trespasses and sins, what do we read next? We read that he made us alive. He made us alive. And we, we can't be those who wallow in the misery of sin because our hearts are too proud to, to, to think itself above God's forgiveness. And we refuse to believe that God actually means what he says, that he delights in mercy and he has cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. Friends, yes, we are sinners, but we are forgiven sinners. Yes, we are wretches, but we are wretches who have been set free from our misery. Yes, we were slaves to sin, but we have been set free from that bondage. Sin no longer is our master. We are forgiven. Our sins are gone. Yes, they were scarlet, we read, but Christ has made them as white as snow. And some of us, brethren, we need to recognize this and spend less time wallowing in the woe is me and meditating on the great love of God that he would actually wipe away our sin. This is how we get to the place where David is expressing his worship. Secondly, our diseases are healed. Now, what are we to make of this? Now, I mean, we were spending time praying for things this morning. Are we to come here and expect that, that our phys, our, all of our physical diseases are healed? Has he promised to heal every disease? I mean, should this govern our prayer meeting every day? That, that there's sickness and disease, and if we have sufficient faith, he's going to heal it. I mean, should we expect that God heals all disease? Brethren, does God heal? He heals. Amen? Does God heal all the time? No. And we recognize that the apostles were going about healing people, but Paul over here had a thorn in the flesh that he couldn't rid himself of. I mean, did he lack faith? Timothy, 
a choice servant of the Lord, seemed to have some kind of health issues, namely stomach problems. Paul said, take some wine. Help your stomach problems. You need to work for the Lord. You need to be healthy. But he didn't take it away. Paul did not rebuke his lack of faith. We don't find here, friends, a blank statement that God will heal all of our physical diseases. You can get that from a basic knowledge of Scripture. You can read that from even the immediate context where he goes from the forgiveness of iniquity to healing our disease. It seems to be some kind of, of, of correlation of saying that these are the same things. And we can also recall what God said. He's sovereign over all of these things. God said, I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none who can deliver me out of God's out of my hand. And so we recognize God's sovereign over sickness. And friends, I think we have to say that the healing he has in view here is primarily the healing of the sickness of our souls. God can heal physically. He is the one to whom we should pray, and we ought to come and pray at times that God would heal. But how much more do we need the healing of our souls? And we have to notice in this the supply of grace for your soul. There is no disease that baffles this doctor. There is no sickness that he cannot heal. And brethren, there's nobody that sits at home thinking they are too sick for the doctor. But there are people who think that they are too wicked for God to heal. Yet God is the great physician who heals all manner of disease with unmatched skill and knowledge of our need. And so there is nothing that you could bring to him of the disease of your soul which he would turn you away. So you must come to him. And I remind us as believers that we continue to need the doctor of souls long after we have come to him the first time. He heals to the uttermost. He saves to the uttermost. He continues to sanctify us. He continues to cleanse us of sin. He continues to bring healing and health to our souls. So friend, is your soul healthy? Have you been to the one who can help you? Have you confessed your sickness and need of healing? Most of us in this room can probably testify that the great physician has healed us of major sicknesses and disease. And our souls bless him for it. So forgiveness of our iniquity, healing of our diseases, and redemption, thirdly, from the pit. Friends, sometimes we need to think about this redemption and what we were redeemed from. We need to consider that place of of horrible torment and punishment and the eternal flame which reminds every person that a lifetime of rejecting Christ will give you an inheritance of eternal sorrow. We need to recognize that that was us. Christ has not saved us from some kind of torture that lasts for 5 or 10 or 20 years. He has saved us from an eternal separation of everlasting punishment. It is perhaps the most horrible and difficult subject to occupy our minds. What sorrow and misery is described. Hell is torture even to think about. And yet we read that Christ has redeemed us from the pit. He has come down in the flesh and taken the sin upon himself. He's paid the ransom price and taken away the punishment that we deserved. Brethren, in the midst of the difficulties of life, do you bless the Lord? for the redemption that you have through Christ? And does it cross your mind frequently that you are no longer condemned, no longer on the path to hell? Do you wrap your mind around that? That you're not some kind of 
person living on parole for 80 years, you're free. You're redeemed from the pit. I mean, can you see through the clouds of the sorrow and pain of suffering that you are a citizen of heaven, that you have been redeemed? See, that's what rises up within us, that where our redemption is real to us and we bless the Lord. So we see the forgiveness of sin, the healing, the redemption from a pit, and then fourthly, we see that we are crowned with steadfast love and faithfulness. And here again, we see the heart of God revealed. What greater blessing can be given to us who have been redeemed? We, we have a picture of God placing a crown upon us, representing his love, his enduring and steadfast love. And each time we look at it, we're reminded of his infinite kindness and undeserved grace. Friends, a crown stays upon the head of the king no matter what he does during the day. He can have a bad day. He can make bad decisions. He can act foolishly at times, but the crown stays upon his head because it is, it is his identity. Likewise, when God places his crown of steadfast love upon the believer, it stays upon you. You are his. You are his. His love is set upon you. It is steadfast love. And we need to recognize that his love for us does not wax and wane as ours does. It is steadfast, immovable. In Christ, you are so loved by God. He doesn't just wipe away your sins and put up with you for the rest of your life. You are loved. Fifthly, we see that our souls are satisfied. Brethren, we're a needy people. We, our, our souls are full of desires and full of needs. We can just look around and see how people are spending their lives searching for ways to satisfy their chief need with anything else other than God. Today, the beaches are full, the stores are full. Everything is going on because people are not in church. They're not worshiping God. They're going out trying to fulfill all their own desires, trying to find satisfaction in something, some kind of money, sex, entertainment, recreation, adventure, all it just all kinds of ways that people seek to be satisfied, but they will never be satisfied. They will never find their greatest need met because that, I mean, that is why so many people lose heart after so many years of pursuing just un, unrestrained joy. They get to their old age and they find that they are so dissatisfied because the only way they can find satisfaction for the deepest need of their souls is in God. It is only in God. He alone can meet our needs of forgiveness, of, of belonging and purpose, and it doesn't say, friends, that the answer to a lack of satisfaction is to be satisfied with lesser things. He satisfies us with good things. And our souls are at rest. We are content. Listen to Psalm 107.9. He says, For God satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. We are full of good things. Or consider Isaiah 58, 11. He said, The Lord will continue, continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. And brethren, you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. That is the language of satisfaction. All that we need, identity, security, meaning and purpose and fulfillment and destiny, all of our needs are, are provided for in Christ. And so I would ask you this morning, are you looking for something that you have not found? Are you seeking for this soul satisfaction that we are speaking of? Because I know so many of us here experience it, but it is only to be found in God. And his people, his people are marked by a soul satisfying rest 
where we no longer feel the greatest needs of our soul is unmet. We are content in all things, as Paul says, because we find our contentment in Christ. How can a believer be discontent, unsatisfied with the infinite Christ? He satisfies our souls. And lastly, brethren, very quickly, our souls are invigorated by grace. Now look at verse 5. He says, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now just hear me. Invigorate might be an odd word to use, but it, it means strength. I mean, have you ever heard the expression, like, there's an old soul? It's, it's, we don't want that. Who wants to have an old, discouraged, worn down soul? We want strength. We want invigoration. We want our souls to rise up with new heights of joy and freedom in Christ. And for, friends, if you've lived a Christian life for any amount of time, you know that we need the invigorating grace of God in our lives. And we're going to be like an eagle sitting in the tree instead of soaring in the heights of glory and joy. We need to have his grace poured into our soul. And so what is the, what is the result of finding our satisfaction of God? It is being invigorated by his grace, being renewed in the inner man, so that no matter how much the outer man is wasting away, we are still being renewed, still being invigorated, still being strengthened to live for God for all of our days. I mean, just think about this, friends. God's grace. I mean, this is, it's, it's invigorating. It's meant to communicate. Well, okay, let me say this. It's not meant to communicate that this is a life of ease and not suffering. But it is meant to obliterate the idea that the Christian life is always a life of drudgery. It doesn't matter how many difficulties we face, and there are many. When the channels of grace are open and flowing into the heart of the believer, we can live above the power of sin. We can live above the grip of discouragement. We can go above into new heights of joy and satisfaction that no unbeliever can ever touch because we are being strengthened by God himself. You remember Moses? Moses died at 120 years old. And what does it say? His eye was not dimmed and his strength, his vigor, it says, was unabated. See, that's how we want to be spiritually. Old, but strength of the youth. Perhaps we're, we're mature, but we're full of vigor and passion so that we say, bless the Lord. He has not only given me strength to sustain me, he has invigorated me to serve him. To serve him all of my days. And so to conclude, I just ask you this. You hear this declaration over and over again. Does this expression of worship describe your life? Is this your disposition? Is your heart set upon God in this way so that you praise him for all the benefits we have seen and many more? Is your heart filled with adoration for God? Because, friends, this is a thoroughly Christian text. And what I mean by that is, if all we know is a bunch of doctrine of systematic theology, and it does not not lead to a doxology where your heart is filled with heartfelt praise and worship to God, you are to be pitied because you cannot experience all these glorious benefits and be indifferent. It's going to produce something of worship. And so if you are not familiar with this type of joy-filled worship. Maybe it's because you don't know what God has done for you. And perhaps you don't know the forgiveness and redemption and soul satisfaction because you have attempted to come to God on your own merits. And brethren, that is futility. Be done with that. 
Away with that. Come to God through Jesus Christ. Call upon him and he will forgive your sin. He will crown you with steadfast love. He will satisfy your soul and he will love you. So friends, let this be our lives because he's, he's the one who forgives us. He's the one who heals us. He's the one who redeems us and crowns us. He satisfies us. He invigorates us. Let this be our expression of worship. To bless the Lord, O oh my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that this would be our experience and our expression of worship to you. We cannot express the gratitude that we have because our words fall so short. But we do thank you. And we pray, God, that you would hear our song of praise and take it to be our most heartfelt expression of worship. And I pray, God, that you would bless your people through this text.